be read at Christmas time. And we'll hear uh, Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. I'll be reading from the New International Version, and the words will be on screen. Though I invite you to open a Bible or a device if you have one handy. Before I read, uh, as I read the Christmas story today uh, from Luke chapter 2, I want you to uh, pick a character in the story as you hear it, whichever comes to mind as, you, as you're ima- hearing the story, and imagine what that event was like from their point of view. What's it like to be that character in the story? What do you notice? So let's hear the good news now from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, At the Wednesday morning Bible study that we do with the youth at the front porch last week, I read this same text to the young people, and I said, now pick a person, any person in the story, just like I asked you, and think about that character. Now, I did ask them this after they had heard the story, so they had less time to think about it. And most of them said something like, the shepherds. That was probably two-thirds of them. Someone said Mary. Someone else said the innkeeper. Someone said Joseph. But I'm curious about you all here. What character stands out to you this time? And just shout it out. Let's hear a few. Shepherds, Joseph and Mary, Caesar Augustus. Some more? I only have two ears, so I can't hear them all. Did I miss anyone? Shout it again if I missed you. Joseph. Any others? I sometimes wonder about the baby. 
For the sermon today, I'd like to take a little time to look at the story from the perspective of each one of these characters. And I may not cover all of the ones you've said, but we'll try to get to them. Because the question I think that the Christmas story brings to us is, what is the good news of Jesus' birth for each one of the people in the story and for us today? Now, the first group of characters that show up in the story are these rulers. You've got uh, Emperor Caesar Augustus way off in Rome, and you've got Quirinius, the, the, the ruler of the region, the province of Syria, all along that side of the Mediterranean. And uh, the previous chapter mentions King Herod, the local ruler of Judea. And these three were bad news. They were the bad guys of the story. They were bad news just waiting to crush this good news now, the Roman emperor, he was considered a god. He went by the title, Savior of the World. And if anyone got wind of another savior, they were killed immediately. And uh, the, the emperor's authority is supreme above all, even down in little Judea. And Quirinius, this next level down from the emperor, he's this Roman official put in charge of that whole part of the Mediterranean uh, where Israel is. And there's evidence that he did, in fact, order a, a census around the time of the birth of Jesus, give or take a few years. And rulers like these are always using their power to control people's lives like they do in the story, to, to find out where they live and what they do and how much they make and to take more money from them. It's all about raising money to feed an army or to uh, do more fancy buildings. Now, Jewish kings were not supposed to take censuses. They were not supposed to count people directly. You just don't do it. And every time it happens in the Bible, it goes very badly. It shows this lack of trust in God's protection and in God's provision of his people. And census years, like in our culture, sometimes lead to political upheaval. This census that was taken in the time of Quirinius, in fact, prompted this revolt in Judea led by this man called Judas of Galilee. And Luke starts the story with these rulers to give us the big picture of what's going on in the world. Those that have power from the emperor on down are not the ones who hear the good news of Jesus' birth. Because for them, it is bad news. As Mary sings in her song the chapter before, they are going down. They're going down. Their, their power, their way of life will one day end. All because of this little baby born in Bethlehem. Now, the next character that shows up in the story is Joseph. And if you think about Joseph, he doesn't get a lot of airtime in Jesus, in Luke's version of the story. You know, in Christmas plays, he's played by that, that kid who is willing to stand up there and be serious, but doesn't need any lines. In fact, probably shouldn't have any lines at all in the play. Uh, he just stands still. And Joseph is an obedient citizen in the story. He does what is told of him. He doesn't join a revolt. No, he just goes to his hometown and is counted in the census. He heads to Bethlehem. Even though his life and his work are all in Nazareth, in, in, in far away from Bethlehem. And we know from elsewhere that he may have been a builder, a, a worker with his hands, someone who was doing scaffolding and framing work for all those big Roman public works and cities. Uh, Joseph doesn't say a word in this story, if you notice. His name shows up once or twice, but he doesn't say anything. He just does things. He just takes Mary, his fiancée, along with him to Bethlehem on this long, hard journey at a dangerous time for her. 
Now, Mary, of course, is a good one to think about in this story. And there's plenty of of songs and stories about Mary. Mary uh, ends the story with her pondering everything that had happened. She stores it up in her heart. But she starts out by traveling these 85 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. 85 miles of walking when she's nearly full term. And if you've ever seen a pregnant woman, it's not so much walking at that point. It's something more like a waddle. And Luke doesn't tell us there's a donkey either, although a lot of our stories have that. So maybe she had to walk the whole way, a hard and painful experience at best. On top of that, she's this teenager far from home. She's staying with distant relatives of her husband who she doesn't even know. What does she make of all of this? And then, of course, there's the innkeeper who shows up next. And if you look at the close, closely at the story, Luke actually doesn't mention an innkeeper at all. We, we have them in our stories, but the way the word is traditionally translated, a inn, or which we picture as a hotel or a motel, is really something more like an upper room or a guest room. The ordinary houses at that time had two rooms, the upper room where you welcomed guests and had special events and parties, and the lower room, the main family room, which was kind of a combination, bedroom, kitchen, stable, stall, everything all in one a fireplace would have been there too. So when they come here to, the, to this place, there's no room for them in the upper room. Instead, Mary and Joseph are welcomed down into the family bedroom. They're, they're welcomed into this place, and they're given hospitality. And Ken Bailey, this missionary and theologian in the Middle East, says that the kind of hospitality Joseph would have expected is mind-boggling to us. See, in normal circumstances and in culture, in his culture, all you'd have to do is show up in Bethlehem and say, I am son of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so who's son of David who's from Bethlehem. And he'd be welcomed with open arms. They would ask him, what can we do for you? Come, stay, have these delicious dates and figs. But Bethlehem is packed with visitors at this time, people coming in for the census. So the, the upper room or the roof of the house, the, the guest area is packed with people. And it would be unthinkable to send these relatives off somewhere else. So no, what they do is they welcome them into this main living space of the family. They, they get invited into the, their home. It's like saying, here, you take the couch or, or maybe the, the, the master bedroom and you sleep there and we'll just sleep on the floor over here on the side. Instead of being rejected in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary and Jesus are given this full, open-armed, hospitable welcome, as best as people could in these hard times. And they would have been surrounded by people through the whole time, and everyone around would have heard it, the the birth pains, the cries of the baby, the bustle of the shepherds cupping in, and, and the proclamation of the good news. And that brings us to maybe the most important characters in the story, the shepherds. They are the very opposite of those rulers and kings and emperors of the world. They are the ordinary people. They're not exactly outcasts, although neither are they part of normal society. They're they're living out in the fields, and they're often young. Think of King David, who started out his life as a shepherd, off in the fields as the youngest of the family, watching over the flocks. And the shepherds might have been male or female. They may have been young or old. They may have been poor, but not dirt poor, because they have some sheep that they own. And these sheep, some scholars say, may have even been sheep being raised to be sacrificed in the temple one day. Now I wonder, who are the shepherds today? I I think I said last year that one scholar says the shepherds are probably like 
long-haul truckers today. They're the ordinary people who stay up late at night doing the essential work that keeps society going. They're in remote places. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They keep unusual hours, and their work is often unappreciated. Now, I read another take on it from the friendly neighbor epidemiologist whose work on faith and epidemic has been really helpful to me in the past year. And she says that the shepherds today might be those people among us who are lonely or forgotten or unseen. And she shared a few stories that she's heard that sound like modern-day shepherds. She thinks of our healthcare workers or janitorial staff in hospitals or technicians or those working in ICUs who are living this daily reality in the hospitals that is opposite of the reality that most people see with their own eyes in this Christmas season. And she thinks of families who've lost a sister or a mom, a dad or a grandparent this year, but might feel unseen as people go on doing things as normal. She reminds us of mothers working to put food on the table for their kids, but they can't afford a hospital bill. And and when they go into work, they just get screamed at in their face by people who don't wear a mask. Or she reminds us of church members who've left their church, who've lost their church, or who are feeling this angst about being at their church because they feel differently about loving their neighbor because of what they're seeing. Or people with family members that are high risk, even though they they have vaccines, and they're constantly worrying about people as this burden to carry. In other words, the shepherds among us today are those who are lonely, who are forgotten, who are unseen, who are carrying this burden that other people don't even notice. And it's to people like these shepherds that God brings the good news. God sends his angel messengers to them and fills the place with his glory. It reminds me of that text from Isaiah 6 where Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And there are six winged angels who have eyes, covered with eyes all over and there's an earthquake and there's smoke filling with God's glorious presence, the whole temple. You see, the temple is where you'd expect to see God's glory. And yet Isaiah sees that God's glory is even bigger than that temple and it goes on to fill the whole universe. And the shepherds, they witness God's glory in the most ordinary place they were, some fields, unnamed, unknown, somewhere outside of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And God's glory shines around them and they are sore afraid, says the King James Version. They are terrified and rightly so. Because angels are scary. I mean, think of that picture of an angel with six wings and eyes all over its face and fire around it. And God's glory is overwhelming. And they hear the good news from the angel. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Messiah, the Lord. And that is good news indeed. Because the Savior of the world, the one who brings joy to all the peoples, is born. And that means that Caesar Augustus is not the Savior of the world. And that means that this baby, born in a small town, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Just last week we heard in John 1 about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. How the word who existed before all things were made, how he is God who is with God and is God, how this word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And it's the exact same glory as the Father, full of grace and truth, says John. 
And the shepherds witnessed this whole host of angels praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so they decide to go and see this glorious baby for themselves. They go to Bethlehem and they find Joseph and Mary and the baby. And it's not hard to find someone in a small town like Bethlehem because everyone knows where they are and who they are. And they see the things just as the angel said a baby in a manger, full of God's glory. And it must have made an impression on the shepherds because the first thing they do is uh, go out. They don't linger, they go out into the town and they spread the good news about what they've seen. The Messiah is here. The Savior of the world is born. Joy to the world. And the shepherds give witness to Jesus. They are the first preachers of the good news. And they spread the word. And everyone is amazed. Now the shepherds in the story are the the good guys. They're the ones who get the most verses. They're the ones who get to move around and do things. And they give witness to the good news. And it's no wonder that many of us pick the shepherds when we hear their story, because they're like us. They're ordinary people who have been given this glimpse of extraordinary glory. And Luke wants us to pay attention to the shepherds. They, they are the focus of the story. And the reason they're the focus is because not only are they the opposite of the rulers and kings, but they are the model for who we should be. They are the model for a follower of Jesus they hear God's glorious message. They go and see for themselves, and then, then they tell everyone about it. They proclaim the good news. And Luke says, be like the shepherds. Now, of course, the shepherds aren't the only ones in the story. There's Mary, for example, the, the quiet one who's at the center of everything. And she treasures these things and ponders them in her heart. She reflects on the, the, the ordinary suffering she's experienced and this extraordinary glory that's been revealed among them all in the face of this newborn child. And she responds to this glory with wonder. And Luke definitely wants us to be like Mary too. And there are others in the story too, so don't feel bad if you didn't pick the shepherds. Joseph is the one who is faithfully obedient to God, putting one foot in front of the other and doing what God says. And Joseph's relatives who welcome them in Bethlehem and show them this gracious hospitality are models of what it looks like to receive God. The angels, they proclaim and reflect God's glory. The people of Bethlehem, they're the ones who are amazed at what they hear. And everyone is changed by the birth of this Messiah. Everyone except those rulers and kings and authorities, oh, they will be changed. As Mary says with confidence in her song, God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. God has done it. God is doing it, and God will do it. And she's so sure of it that she sings about this future action in the past tense, because it is as good as done. All that glory, all that grace, all that power and humility revealed in the body of a newborn baby who is the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior of the world. The Word made flesh and dwelling among us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, as we hear the Christmas story again and, and enter into it by the power of your Spirit, stir our hearts to, to act like those in the story, to hear and see the Word made flesh, to give witness to him. 
We thank you for the grace and truth revealed in Jesus and, and for your glory come into the world. And we pray that we, as ordinary people, might witness these extraordinary glimpses of your glory and go and tell others of what we've seen, that we may be like shepherds, like Mary, like Joseph, like the people of Bethlehem and so many others in the story who see the glory revealed and who say, hallelujah, this is the Savior, this is the Messiah, this is Christ the Lord. We pray that as we go from this place, we may be witnesses like the shepherds of your truth and grace and glory. We pray this by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. As we respond to the the Christmas story, we'll sing two songs. uh, What child is this? A song of wonder and amazement at the birth of Jesus and once in royal David's city. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit to sing.